Uh, you will recall two weeks ago, trumpets intervened in between, but we had gone to the book of Revelation chapter 13 and begun to define who this first beast of Revelation 13 might be here at the end time. Before that, for some of you who might be new on the hookup, we had discussed in considerable detail the great whore of Revelation 17 and 18, which I think we can fairly clearly identify today as the nations of Israel led by America, specifically America, who will be destroyed by the beast. Once that definition became, I think, fairly clear, we moved on to this other beast of Revelation 13 to begin to define that. We saw that this beast comes up out of the sand of the sea, which the Bible describes in symbolism as the many multitudes and peoples and nations. That's on a little further on down in the context, I think in chapter 17, that uh, explains that. Has seven heads and ten horns, and it is comparable to all the other beasts of Daniel 2, Daniel 7, that it has the characteristics of all those beasts. Now, I do not deny, and it probably is so, that there have been a succession of world empires and beasts down through history, which was described to Daniel to be the Babylonian, the Grecian, Medo-Persian, and, and Roman empires. And those have continued through history. But there is an end-time fulfillment where the book of Revelation combines all those characteristics of those beasts that have gone through history, and we can look at history and understand the predatory power, the meanness, the atrocities that were performed by those various empires. We even have recorded in Daniel how evil and how destructive the Babylonian Empire was to God's people. Uh, witness Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom God delivered. But the very intent of that empire was to kill them and to do it in a horrible way. So we are going to find here that there is a beast at the end which is comparable to all of these. It's not just like one of them. It's like all of them. All of them rolled into one. How would you like to have an animal that was part leopard, part bear, part lion, and the dragon, the devil, giving it its power and authority. That it had all the ferociousness, all the predatory strength of all those animals combined. I've been out in places where I feared leopards in Africa because you never know where they might come from. And there were leopards around. Uh, sometimes they just appear beside a tour bus in some of the parks and kill someone. Happened a couple years ago, a story that I read of. And they're very elusive, very careful, very quiet. And they're on you before you know it. So you might be hunting something else or looking for something else or even just taking pictures, but if you're out of your car and out in the bush, always in the back of your mind there's the thought of a leopard coming silently, quietly upon you and breaking your neck before you even know what's going on, dragging you up into a tree and eating you. 
I've been in many places where bears were and have read many reports when we were living in Alaska of bears killing people, both black bears and grizzly or Alaska brown bears, and how they have horribly torn people before they die. Don't always kill them right away. <clears throat> Sometimes they leave you alive to suffer. Sometimes you recover, but you never look like much again. So always when you're in the wilds in Alaska, you have in the back of your mind, I wonder if there's a bear in those bushes, because sometimes there are, and I've come face to face with them. Facing a bear is bad enough, but what if it also was a leopard? I've come around corners and seen lions in Africa, right beside the car, and it's very startling. And of course, you've all seen movies or uh, documentaries of African wilds and those animals killing their prey, chasing them down and starting to eat them while they were still alive. That's what this beast is going to do. It will have all the characteristics of all these plus the power and authority of Satan with them. This is going to be an incredible end-of-the-age beast combining all these characteristics. Verse 3 of chapter 13, it says, And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. Now this person who has the deadly wound is indeed a person. It's not the entire system that receives a deadly wound. And I will see that as we go on down in the context here. That it is an individual who perhaps is wounded uh, politically to the point it looks like he cannot go on and recovers, or perhaps even wounded physically and miraculously recovers. We'll see how it plays out. But there's one of these heads. It's not all the heads. It's not the entire system. It's one of the heads that is wounded and comes back. We'll see that. And they worship the dragon which gave power to the beast, and they worship the beast, saying, Who is like to the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given to him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given to him to continue forty-two months. That's how long this beast power will hold sway. Let's go back for a moment to Revelation 10, uh, 11, uh, where he gives instruction to the two witnesses, to the leaders of the church at that time. And there was given me a reed like a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the church, and the altar, that is the ministry, and them that worship therein, individual members. But the court which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not. That which is outside the church, they are to leave alone. That, by definition, is what? The rest of the world, leave alone. So their assignment at first is not to go to the world. Their assignment is to measure the church, the altar, the individuals in the church, and leave anything outside the temple of God alone. Who is the temple of God? The first fruits, the ones called now, the church, if you will, is the temple of God. That we have shown very, very clearly in the temple series. So their job is only at first with the church itself. That's all. For it is given to the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty-two months. So the beast will tread 
and have power for 42 months, three and one-half years. And at some point there, he says he will give power to his two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred threescore days clothed in sackcloth, that is, three and a half years. So it is apparently the same time that the beast has power that God gives power to his people. Before that, there is a measuring process that goes on to see who is ready and who is not. The measure, the standard, is the word of God. The word of God has to be preached to God's church. The standard has to be set as to what God expects of you and me. That is why we have a hard line in our preaching here. It's because we have to live up to the words of the Bible. And they are not easy to follow. <clears throat> now let's go back to chapter 13 again of Revelation. And he opened his mouth, verse 6, and blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is his temple, his people, and them that dwell in heaven. So nothing is sacrosanct from God the Father on down through all of his people. And it was given to him, this beast, the one that had the deadly wound that was healed, to make war with the saints and to overcome them. During that 42 months, he will be given power to overcome, to make war with, to defeat the saints. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. It's a worldwide thing then. It's not isolated, it's not in a corner, it's not in one part of the world, it's everywhere. <clears throat> and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. This is going to be such a fantastic thing that it will get everyone's attention except those whose names are not written, or, oh, excuse me, all will worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Christ is spoken of as the Lamb here slain from the very beginning, before the world's foundation was even laid, the plan was that he would have to come and die for man. God knew man would sin. It didn't come as a surprise to him whatsoever. If any man have an ear, brethren, listen up. This is coming. Not only that, it is coming very soon. We can already see it forming. You might recall... I said last time that it appears to be an amalgamation of a lot of different secret societies who behind the scenes are working to control the world now. I could go into that today or in another sermon, but I do not feel that it is really necessary. There's a great deal of information out there about the Bilderbergers, the Illuminati, the, uh, uh, the Masons, various other secret societies, the Skull and Bones, of whom two of our last three presidents have been members. There's much, much you can read about that. And you can go to any bookstore and find those books. So I'm not going to take the time to go through that. If you want to read some of that, you can. If you listen to talk radio, you'll hear it there. Uh, it's available. And it, I mean, there are hundreds of books probably out now about the secret societies and the plans they have. So we'll not go into that in any great detail. You can look it up. There's been a series on, uh, I think, Trio Channel 315 on DirecTV 
that I've heard about that has been going through the different secret societies just this past week, in fact. And I've seen videos that were made in Africa by a man who showed all that and how they're connected with the Jesuits and every other secret society you want to talk about. They're all interconnected to one degree or another. And there is a conspiracy going on to rule the world. If there is not, as some claim, how in the world do they all come together and do it? Anybody have an answer for that? God says it's going to happen, and yet there are people who say that no one's planning this. Somebody needs to get their head out of the sand or somewhere and begin to look around. Let's go back for a moment to Daniel 2. Was there a conspiracy in Daniel's day to get him killed? Was there a conspiracy to have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego killed? The wise men of the kingdom got together and said, we don't want these Jews in here. Let's figure out a plan so we can get rid of them, so that we can have preeminence. Isn't that what world rule is about? Preeminence of a few. They wanted to be next to the king. So they, they concocted this idea of making an image of Nebuchadnezzar and making everyone bow down to it and worship, otherwise they would die. Worked beautifully, because they knew those particular Jews would not bow down. Is there something like this coming? I don't want Daniel 2 right now, I want Daniel 7, excuse me. We're going to go on before today is over to that second beast of Revelation 13. But I want to go back here into chapter 7 a bit. Uh, we're familiar, I'm sure, about the four winds of heaven striving against the great sea. Uh, and I read some of this, I think, two weeks ago. But it talks here about the lion, the bear, the leopard, and uh, a diverse beast with ten horns, as we get down to verse 7. And in verse 8 he said, I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. So you had ten horns on these seven heads, and then another horn comes up and plucks out three of the horns that are already there. In other words, somewhere in this last beast, there is a conflict. And the little horn that comes up and begins to take power apparently has a problem with three of the other leaders that are there. So they are plucked up. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of man and a mouth speaking great things. So this is an individual speaking great things, and he will get the attention. I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit. So this is an end-time thing. It culminates in the return of Jesus Christ and the books being opened for the judgment. Let's skip to verse 11. I beheld then because of the voice of the great words which the horn spoke, I beheld even till the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. We'll read about that in the book of Revelation before we're done today. As concerning the rest of the beasts, now this is plural here, beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and time. 
So he's talking about this beast being slain, but everybody that's there is not slain. And the beast is slain when? When Christ returns. So these other beasts are still around. The point I'm getting to is this. Those empires of the past are not done and gone. They will all be revived here as an amalgamation at the end. All the characteristics will be comparable to all of those that went by in the past. If you want to read the atrocities performed by those beasts in history, you can do so, but when you get done, plug it into the end-time beast and realize that everything that was done back then is going to be brought forward and done again with all the power of all the beasts. They are not done, they are not gone. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. Now this beast wants all people on earth to serve it. And we just read in Revelation 13 that everyone will who is not written in the book of life of the Lamb. Everyone on earth will worship this beast. It will be so powerful, so startling, so fantastic, so powerful, that everyone will just shrug their shoulders and say, who could make war with this beast? They won't even be willing to try. They will be so magnificent. Verse 17, These great beasts which are four are four kings which shall arise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever, even forever and ever. So as startling as it is, so powerful as it is, and as minute and weak as God's people are, and this beast will be given power over God's people, remember, and able to make war against them and prevail against the church. Despite that, the kingdoms will take, the, the saints will take the kingdom and rule forever and ever. Not just through the millennium, but forever and ever. In other words, as Mr. Armstrong always said, in the end, we win. Now we're going to get to a section which shows that those who do indeed keep the feast in the right attitude and live their lives the rest of the time in the right attitude and get their relationship straight with God are going to be protected. I don't want to get into that today. We will get into it before this series is done. So there is an offer of help and hope for those who are willing to perform. But if we're not willing to perform and we insist on going on as we are, we will go into that tribulation. 90% of the church will do so. I firmly believe that. I think I can back it up with Scripture. You see, there is a difference between what is God is doing to the church right now and what he will do to it in the future. The church, as a temple, as a body, is being destroyed. The fingers, the toes, the hands, everything are being cut off it. Or he used the analogy, which is less gruesome, of a physical temple with stones, and not, not one stone will be left upon another. You could use the other analogy I started into about how it is dismembered, that the pieces of the body are all cut off. 
or stones, either way. That's what's happening to the church today. Now, it's happening to the whole church. But when this hits, part of the church is going to be protected and part is going to be left behind and not be a part of organizations. They will be individuals. And the beast will come after those individuals and it will kill everyone that it can find that will not recant and worship the beast. So you as an individual temple will have to face either following the beast and worshiping it or facing the consequences. Will you worship God and prevail in the end or will you seek to save your life and physically lose it? Will you be willing at that time to be concerned about eternal life or your physical life? That's what it's going to come down to. <clears throat> Let's continue here <clears throat> and read what we just read in Revelation 13. Verse 19, I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all the others, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron and his nails of brass, which devoured, broke in pieces, and stamped the residue with his feet. Not content to stop at one point, but just continues to destroy as long as it has power. Is that hard to imagine? <clears throat> Understanding that his power comes from Satan the devil, who would like to see what? All human beings destroyed. Especially those that are not in his hand. And it will emphasize that just below here. Of the ten horns that were in his head, and of the other which came up, and before whom three fell, so it again emphasizes this eleventh one that comes up is going to destroy three. <clears throat> Even of that horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. He appeared to have more power, more strength, more energy, more political clout, more military clout perhaps. I beheld, and the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them. So it is not the rest so much as specifically one individual who is going to be coming after the church. He will have a vendetta to kill you and me, all of us. The same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. So this is going to occur for 42 months and it is going to occur until Christ returns. So that 42 months obviously ends at the first resurrection. So this prophecy in Daniel 7 is by all means, an end-time prophecy. So it happens until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High, and the time came that they, the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, and shall tread it down and break it in pieces. It will have the military might to devour any and every country. Now the United States is the only one who has a partial degree of that power today. The United States, as Babylon, has the power to destroy any nation on earth that it chooses to destroy. I do not know that we have the power to devour the whole earth. 
because we've used up an awful lot just in Iraq, and we're spread very thin, if you read what some retired military people say. But this one is going to have the power to do it all, through Satan and through arms, as we see in chapter 11 of Daniel. In the ten horns, verse 24, out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall rise after them, and he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings, and he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of time. They've been thinking of changing the calendar now. I've been reading since at least the 60s. And I heard something recently that someone said they'd read a report that it has been revived and now that we're talking about a European calendar being changed from that of what we have in America today. So they want to change times. And this power will be given until a time and times and the dividing of times, that is three and a half years. So the 42 months and the three and a half years equate. <clears throat> but we know from past sermons and information the God is going to change the times and the seasons. It says so right here in Daniel. We have to go back to a 360-day calendar before this is over in order to have 42 months, 1260 days, and three and a half years. You, you simply cannot have it without a 360-day year. So, the major confrontation then at the end is between this first beast of Revelation and the people of God. Okay, uh, they take over the entire world, and the globalists, for a point or up to a point, do win, don't they? For 42 months, they have power to destroy any and everyone they wish to. Then it will change, and Daniel tells us that. All right, let's go back to Revelation 13 again. We left off in verse 8, where it says that everyone will worship him except those who are written in the book of life. All right, let's go down into verse 10. He that leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He that kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and faith of the saints. And that's where we left off two weeks ago. We have to hold our peace not get involved in the military or in the militias or any other thing that comes up that would try to fight. It isn't our job. God does have at least two, and maybe more if you read Micah 4 and 5, who will go out and confront the Assyrian when he comes into our land and who will fight the world, be given power to do so for 42 months, and they indeed do have the power that fire would come out of their mouth and kill people if they tried to destroy them. But, for the most part, we as the people of God have to wait patiently, serving God, and have faith that he will deliver us. If we do what we should be doing, he will. He says so. Someone got scared last time I talked about this, concerned about it. Well, the real answer is in faith and obedience and patience the fruit of God's Spirit. 
If we're close to God, we have nothing to fear. That's why he tells us in Isaiah 8 that there is a great confederacy coming. Don't fear it, fear me. We come to the Feast of Tabernacles to worship and fear God, to put our faith, our trust, our belief in him, because he's the only one that can save us. Now, if you're not ready for this or you're not getting ready for this, I suggest you leave the churches of God, destroy any connection you've ever had with them, if that is at all possible, and never mention the name of God again in your life, but go out and party with the world. Because they're coming after us. You've got to make a decision. You're in all the way, or you might as well get out now. No, you're going to die anyhow. <laughs> it doesn't make any difference. 90% of the people on this earth are going to die. And if you depart from God, I suspect that he will make sure you die. That's his judgment. But we, when we came into God's church, made a commitment. And it should have been, if it wasn't, brought to our attention that once we put our hand to the plow, we cannot turn back. It should have been reviewed before us that if we start to build a house, we have to stay and finish it. That we must count the cost of building the house, lest happily after we have laid the foundation and begun to build, we not have sufficient to finish it. And we're here to build a spiritual house. Are we committed or are we not? There is no time for fence-sitting, brethren. We need to either start living God's way doing things his way, or we need to just get completely away. There's no in-between. And if you try to be in-between, you'll become ashamed to God's people. Not only that, you will not be committed to God and to his people with the kind of faith and love that is necessary that would help, would help you not betray your brethren. Any fence-sitters in the church of God will betray their brethren to the death. Get in or get out. Whether I live or whether I die, Paul said, I am the Eternals. It doesn't make any difference what happens in the future. We belong to him. It's easy to mouth those words. It's easy to say I'm a Christian. But how many, many people do I see in this day and age who when they face difficulty, when they face sickness or health problems, when they face job problems or whatever, will begin to weasel. And they will put themselves in the hands of this world in whatever way rather than trusting to God. I'm his. I have no right to go anywhere else but to God for my well-being, my health, my wealth, my life. That's the only place I have a right to go. I said that the day I was baptized. I made a commitment to that. I vowed that before Almighty God in heaven. 
And if I do any different, I break that vow and have to answer to God. But how many in the church today, scattered around the world, are depending upon man for their life and for their health rather than to God? We are in a sad, pitiable, wretched spiritual state, brethren. There is one God and none other. The Ancient of Days, the Almighty and His Son. He is our healer. He is our protector. He is our guide. People can make a lot of different choices. And some things that are available to us I will not say, as a blanket statement, are all wrong. Some things are fairly natural and can be used, and God intended us to use them. But we must be very, very careful that we are not putting our trust in man. But our trust is in God, our commitment is to God. And we have to make wise choices as to what we use of this world and what we do not use of this world. And be very careful. Be sure that our relationship with God is right. Because the time is coming when you can no longer sit on the fence. You're either in or you're out. Even the world will not tolerate us anymore. They will be out to kill us. And this individual, this eleventh horn that comes up and subdues three of the other horns, is going to be on our tails. So we better make sure where we stand, where our commitment is. Are we vacillating? Are we on the fence? Are we still dreaming of being a part of the world? Or have we come out of the world? Or, in fairness, are we coming out of the world? Because I don't think any of us have made it completely out. And we have to keep working at it and finding ways to depend more and more upon God and less and less upon the world as time goes by. It's very, very difficult to live in the middle of this world and not have a certain dependence upon it. God says to sit up and let make the world quit walking on you. But it's hard to do that, and it's hard to find out how to get turned loose. And I do believe, and I think I can show it from Scripture, that God is going to help us He'll have to help us because we can't get completely free of this world until he does help us. But those who are moving that direction are going to find his grace and favor. And those who are just sitting in it, enjoying it, being a part of it, or longing for it, like Lot's wife, are going to be in deep, deep trouble. Here is the patience and faith of the saints. Now verse 11, And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. Now you will notice the beginning of chapter 13 that this first beast is male. It says he. When we read Revelation 17 and 18, the great harlot was she. So there is a definite difference between these. And this first beast, as we read, kills the woman, destroys her, the harlot. One of the first things that happens apparently. 
So you have those two beasts identified. I believe that the great harlot is the United States of America and her brothers and sisters, the rest of Israel, led by America and Britain. I believe this great second beast that we've read about is an amalgamation of the United Nations, uh, the secret societies. It is iron and miry clay at best. It will have strength of iron and yet it will be barely held together because none of these people want to give sovereignty to anyone else. But the sovereignty of the nations of the world has to disappear before this beast can rule them all. And that's what the globalists are working at right now, is to destroy the sovereignty of all the nations. And the one that they have to get rid of the most and the worst is the sovereignty of the United States of America. Because as long as we retain our sovereignty and our power, they simply cannot come against us. So they're working in every way to destroy that sovereignty so that they can become sovereign, so that they can become world rulers. Here's an article I picked up the other day. I was coming out of a store, and it was, it's called The Senior Sampler. It's published uh, for St. George Cedar City in Mesquite, and I'd never noticed it before, but as I walked by, the uh, headline caught my eye. It says, The Great Alaska Giveaway. Alaska whether you knew it or not, is one of the 50 states of the United States of America. It's part of the sovereign nation of America. Now, we have given away our gates, as have the British, whether it be Hong Kong or Panama or Suez or Gibraltar or any of the other gates that we control. We control virtually all the gates of the world. And God says those gates will be taken away, and they have been. But this is something that has been proposed for some years this is written by C.D.R. Boyd Nethercott, U.S. Navy, retired. Under long-time mysterious circumstances since the mid-1970s, a secret giveaway of a million square miles of islands and ocean is underway by the State Department professionals and bureaucrats. This is now in the final stages. Russia will soon receive this gift. And he puts in parentheses, please be angry with this. Without any authorization, some State Department experts and old-timers, bureaucrats, are giving away eight economically and strategically vital Alaskan islands and open sea and getting nothing in return. See, the Russians have disputed over the years, ever since we bought Alaska for, what was it, $3 million or something like that. Very, very cheap. We take out more oil than that every day up there. If our Congress and President don't stop our powerful professional State Department bureaucrats now, the areas will soon become a part of Russia. There's a picture here of Wrangell Island and the town of Wrangell. I've been there. Beautiful little fishing village. But that area has millions of tons of forests and fish and oil and it's some of the be most beautiful part of America. A million acres they're going to give the Russians, apparently. That breaks our sovereignty, doesn't it? They're giving away one of the states. It's like taking the state of Utah and saying, well, we'll give a million acres to the Germans or the Russians or the Chinese. A million acres is a lot of land. He said this involves sovereign American territory. 
Now, how are you going to do this? It says, there is some controversial historical background on this Alaska area giveaway. The Russians refused to sign a boundary treaty in 1991 proposed and signed by President Bush Sr., which moved the boundary of where Russian water ends and where U.S. waters begins farther east. But that was not far enough for the Russians. They want the islands. They want a million acres. Of course, once they get their million, then what will they want? You know, blackmail is blackmail, and it never goes away. There are forces working to destroy the sovereignty of America and indeed the sovereignty of all nations so that these globalists can take over and rule. All right, let's go to verse 11 of Revelation 13. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. So this is a separate beast from the one we have just read about. I think it has been our tendency to sort of let all these sort of converge in our minds over the years and somehow we equated Revelation 7 and 18 and the great harlot with this beast. But it's clear in Scripture that the first beast is there, it kills the harlot, and then we have another beast in Revelation, which is a totally separate entity from the first one. So we see a world stage being set here with three major powers, one of which will be destroyed. Let's read about it. Verse 11, And I beheld another beast coming out of the earth. Now the first one came from where? Out of the sea. And the Bible itself explains in chapter 17, we've already read that, uh, that the sea is multitudes and peoples, nations and so on. The people of the earth. Now why does it say this one comes out of the earth? Good question. I've read some speculation about it. But to me, uh, if you have the seas, and this first beast, beast encompasses all the peoples of the earth, the second beast comes out of the earth, that is the entirety of this globe, isn't it? The seas and the earth. There are seven seas that we talk about, seven oceans. So the analogy is, is beautiful all the way through, seven continents. Uh, and they plan on dividing the earth up into ten areas. So you have seven uh, groups, perhaps, seven industrial nations, perhaps, with the eighth being destroyed, the great whore America. So you have seven great powers left, and then they take over the entire earth, the earth, the seas, everything. But this is a different type of beast. This one comes up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb. Now we know that the lamb slain from the foundation of the world is Jesus Christ. So this one has the appearance of a lamb. Now does not Satan come as an angel of light, appearing as a lamb? Now if you were Satan, and I'm not implying anything here, and you wanted to deceive the whole world, and especially the people of God, what would you want to appear as? A lamb. Because the scripture is so clear that the lamb slain is Christ. If you want to counterfeit things, you would want to come as a lamb. He comes out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb. Now, lambs do grow horns as they grow. 
On the U's, they don't get very big. On the Rams, they get bigger. It has been speculated that this is possibly the Catholic Church by any who get beyond Revelation 17 and 18 and their belief that that was the Catholic Church. But that clearly is an economic and military power that is destroyed, the great harlot. We saw that. So if that is not the Catholic Church, then possibly that the second beast is religious because it appears as Christ, appears as a lamb. doesn't appear as a leopard, tiger, bear, lion. It appears as a lamb. That's religious, and we'll see that as we go on. Two horns, if it is the Catholic Church, could be the Catholic Church and perhaps the, the uh, uh, Greek Orthodox Church combined again. They tried to get together, and that is a possibility, I suppose, that the two horns could be the Catholics and the Greek Orthodox. I don't know. Well, let's go on. Let's go on first. We'll speculate a little bit here, but let's go on first and determine whether or not this truly is a religious beast or not. And he exercises all the power of the first beast before him. This is going to be a very, very powerful beast. Has all the power of the first beast. Now the first beast, as we read in Daniel 2, or Daniel 7, excuse me, has great military might to make war. We even read this up here, how it can make war with the saints. So it is an economic and military power for sure. But, if this is a religious entity, the second beast, could it be given the kind of power from a different source, a different way, that would make it just as powerful as the first beast? What kind of power would that be if that were to be the case? Because it does say it has all the power of the first beast before him and causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Now the one that was wounded was that eleventh horn. Let's see who can make fire come from heaven. In that case, the priests of Baal couldn't do it. And Elijah caused fire to come down and consume the offering and the wood and the water and everything that was there. It was a religious demonstration. But this beast has given all the power of Satan the devil to have lying signs and wonders and make fire come down from heaven in the sight of men. So the object then is to influence people, to do it in their sight so that they might be in awe and amazement at what can be done. Now you'll recall in Revelation 11 that he gives, God gives power to his two witnesses to do the same kind of thing, to change water into blood, to bring plagues wherever, whenever they wish, and so on. So you have two powers then, two religious powers on the world stage. God's witnesses, God's church, against whatever church this happens to be in Revelation 13. And which will seem to have the greatest power? Which will influence people the most? This one will give all its power to the military economic beast, all of its influence. And it says the whole world will worship it. So what the two witnesses do is going to be dissed. 
It is going to be put down. It is going to be hated. Because this great beast is doing signs and wonders and calling power from heaven. And not only that, it has the economic and military beast behind it so that the world is afraid of it. And they're not going to listen to two small voices of two men who come humbly in sackcloth and ashes. Which would the world listen to? So fire comes down in the sight of men and deceives them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. So the beast is going to be there in place to rule the world and this religious arm then, there's some people that need religion to influence them. And they're going to be doing miracles at the same time God's people are doing miracles. Remember Egypt? The magicians made snakes. Moses made snakes. And Moses' snakes ate their snakes. That's the way it's going to be. In the end, God is going to be preeminent. Does miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, in the verse 14, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live? Does this sound like the book of Daniel, where they made an image of Nebuchadnezzar? Nebuchadnezzar was the golden head of the Babylonian Empire. Now, is this indeed a church? Is it a religious movement? I've been stating that, but can it be proved to be that way? I recently read a paper where someone speculated that it was the United Nations or that it was America. But it wasn't religious at all. They said that people have assumed it was religious. Now, people have assumed that Revelation 17 and 18 in the Great Harlot is religious, and yet we can see in the context it's economic and military. But can you show that this is religious? I think we can. Let's go to Revelation 19. Or maybe I should save that. Uh, now we're already getting along in time, so maybe I'll go there now. Revelation 19 and verse 19. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. This chapter 19 is talking about Christ's return, so that's the army that it's talking about. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet, is that religious or not? The false prophet, that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. He makes it very clear here that it's the second beast taken along with the first beast. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. So it speaks of the beast and the false prophet and then defines who the false prophet is. The one who made an image to the beast. The ones that deceive those that receive the mark of the beast. Well, let's go on and read the rest of chapter 13 and we'll see that that language is included. 
All right, he made an image to the beast into verse 14, which had the wound by a sword and did live. So it's very clear that what we read in Daniel 7 about the 11th horn coming up and plucking up three more and being wounded is the same one that this is referring to. It is an ancient history. It's alive right at the end. Verse 15, and he had power to give life to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads and that no man might buy or sell save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So an image is made. And this image apparently, if it's a physical image that is built, has even greater power than that one spoken of in Daniel 2 that Nebuchadnezzar made, because this image will have the ability to speak. Does it stretch our imagination? that Satan could speak through something, just a thing, a physical thing? <clears throat> Satan has the ability to make people hear voices. I've talked to a lot of people who have demon problems over the years who have little voices in their heads that speak to them, tell them what to do, tell them when to do it, tell them who to do it to. Satan has that capacity and that power. It is not only God who has that power. He is, Satan is the prince of the power of the air. He's the present ruler of this world. I don't know exactly what form this image might take, but it's, it's not the beast. It's an image of that beast. When you look in the mirror, is that you or is that an image of you? So it's something that looks just like the beast, and yet it is an image of it, which is given power to speak. And if you don't worship that image, you'll be killed. Let's go back and tie this in for a moment with Daniel 9, I mean, excuse me, Daniel 2. It's a story that we're all familiar with. Um, Nebuchadnezzar had this dream, and then he wanted to know, have an interpretation of it, and the Chaldeans couldn't come up with an, an interpretation. Verse 12, for this cause the king was angry and very furious, and commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. Verse 14, Then Daniel answered with counsel and wisdom to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, which was gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon, and said, Don't be hasty. Uh, give, give me time, and I'll answer this. Verse 17, Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret, that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. There's an important key not to mention here, miss here. When trouble comes, what do we do? We go pray to God, don't we? That's what they did. When your life is on the line, you go and pray. You beseech God, to whom you have devoted your life and committed your entire being. Then was the secret revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And he said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. Verse 21, And he changes the times and the seasons. This beast will think to change it, as we read in Daniel 7. But it says God does change it. 
I believe that he has changed it from 360 to 365 and a quarter, and he will change it back in order to fulfill the prophecies. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He reveals the deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. If you want the answers, who do you go to? You go to God, because he is the one who has all the answers. Do you realize what an incredible thing it is that we have a connection to the Almighty God of creation? We can go to him day or night. The rest of the world can't. They are deceived, they are in darkness, and God does not hear sinners, he says. They are devoted, basically, to a life that is sinful before God. Now, they may not think so, they may think they're very religious, but they don't understand the truth. And those that worship him must worship in what? In spirit and in truth. So without the truth and without the spirit of God, through that truth, you simply cannot worship God. We are such a rare and privileged group of people on this earth, brethren, that it is almost beyond our understanding to grasp. You and I can go before the creator of the entire universe anytime, day or night, in trouble or not in trouble, and have all his wisdom, his understanding, his mercy, everything that makes God God is at our beck and call. He only asks that we give him our entire attention. something we have difficulty with. But the rest of the world doesn't have what we have. There's a town of Springdale out here which eclipses our size in numbers by far. And whoever's heard of Springdale, Utah. There's St. George down here that makes what's left of the church look small. 50,000, 60,000 people down there. You can go to Las Vegas or Los Angeles and then you go around the world and six plus billion people on this earth and out of it, there are only a few, perhaps tens of thousands of people on earth who can go directly to God and be heard. You realize what a privilege we have. Let's not let this be lost upon us and fail to do it because we lose the vision of what it is that we have. It is so easy when you're extremely wealthy to forget how wealthy you are. It is easy to begin to put other people down and lift yourself above them because you are wealthier and you can do things that they can't do. That is part of the wine of her fornication that we are having to come out of that it talks about in Revelation 17 and 18. Wine represents wealth and the ability to do what you wish. In ancient times, the poor man worked just basically for his food. That's all he got. But the wealthy could have wine. They could have strong drink. They could live as they pleased. In America today, we have that. And so often we please to do what we wish rather than what God would have us do. And we forget how miserable and naked and blind we are, and how much we must depend upon God. 
Now, if we get to the point we think we can depend upon ourselves, God is going to put us in a place where we have to depend upon him for our daily bread. But it's so easy to forget, to think that all of this is here, that we deserve it, that we're entitled to it. No, we're not. We have a great privilege to be able to go to God. Now, this beast that we're reading about does not have that privilege. It can only go to Satan. It's the only power it can go to. We have the ability to go to God. And Daniel and these three recognize that. It says in verse 28, There is a God in heaven that reveals secrets and makes known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. This dream that Nebuchadnezzar had was not, it had, a, it had a physical fulfillment then, but the real meaning of the dream was for the latter days. These are the latter days in which we live. We can argue about whether it's coming to an end in one to 25 years, but there are very few who are astute or knowledgeable at all of the Bible who would believe it would go much beyond that. When you look at 6,000 years of history, essentially, and we have anywhere from 1 to 25 left, we're right at the end, aren't we? And I personally believe it's a lot shorter than 25. All right, this is a latter-day prophecy. Verse 31, You, O king, saw and behold a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee. I believe this is the exact same image that is referred to in Revelation 13, that the second beast makes of the beast itself, because it is a latter-day prophecy. This image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass. Now, when this is explained, it shows that King Nebuchadnezzar was that head of gold. So there was a physical fulfillment back then, and there was a fulfillment down through the history of the different world-ruling empires. But that isn't where the story stops. I'm not denying that those empires existed and that they fit the pattern and the mold, physically and historically, of what is given here. But I am here to say that was not the final fulfillment of it, and that there is another image coming that John wrote of in Daniel, I mean in Revelation 13. This image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. You saw till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay and broke them to pieces. Now who is the foundation stone? Jesus Christ. He is the one who is going to come back and take the beast and the false prophet by the nap of the neck and throw them into the lake of fire. We've already seen that in Revelation 19. And if we have time, we might go back and look at it more in detail. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and gold broken to pieces together. So this image was built of all these different materials, built of all nations and peoples from around the world, came up out of the sea, remember? and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away. 
so that no place was found for them, and the smoke that the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So Jesus Christ's government in the millennium is going to supplant this beast, and God's kingdom will reign for a thousand years, and then of course forever and ever. This is the dream, and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. You, O king, are a king of kings, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heaven, has he given into your hand and has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. So he represented as a physical king and kingdom that which would come at the end. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar was a type of this beast and this image that would appear before you and me. Written all this time back there. And after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to you, and another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron. We've equated that to the Roman Empire. For as much as iron breaks in pieces and subdues all things, and as iron that breaks all these, shall it break in pieces and bruise. And whereas you saw the feet and toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, Satan's kingdom is divided, and it will fall, right? <coughs> but there shall be in it of the strength of the iron, for as much as you saw the iron mixed with miry clay, and as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And there were ten resurrections of the Roman Empire, or nine, and we're looking at the last, perhaps, in, in type through history. But this last beast will have the characteristics of all these beasts back here, as we read in Revelation 13. It will have bear, leopard, lion, and Satan, all four. And whereas you saw iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. They'll mingle with men. That is a conspiracy. That is people plotting and planning together, mingling in meetings and devising, preparing to take over. And in the days of these kings, all of them, not just one king, shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. So... This end-time beast will be an amalgamation of all that has gone before. It will be comparable to all of those combined, but it will be destroyed by Jesus Christ when he returns. All of these things that have happened, all these empires that have occurred through history since the time this was written, are merely a type of something that is coming up right here at the end that will be an amalgamation of all. Just as the church may have had a history that can be traced somewhat through the ages, but all seven churches exist at the end. And that can be shown very easily. I've done it in past sermons, so I won't go into it now. For as much as you saw, verse 45, that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold... The great God has made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter, and the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof sure. Now, is it becoming clear? 
but the prophecy and the interpretation is clear. We are seeing it happen before our very eyes. We are seeing how men have tried to rule the world. After World War I, they had a meeting and tried to form a League of Nations to rule. And it failed. After World War II, when things had been settled down again, they formed a United Nations. And Herbert Armstrong was there for the meeting of the Charter of the United Nations. And he said, this is the most dangerous thing that has ever occurred on earth. I read that quote to you a few weeks ago. Today, we see a United Nations, which has basically been toothless, funded by America, kept alive by America, but which is beginning to diverge from America because America has thumbed its nose at it. And now it is forming behind the scenes a coalition of people to destroy America. And that coalition of peoples will be the powerful of the world. It won't be the guy on the street. It will be the bankers, the industrialists, the military, the economic powers. Those are the people who can get together and accomplish something. The people living out in this world can't accomplish anything. We feel absolutely unable. You talk to the average American citizen and they'll say, I know this and this and this is wrong, but what can I do? They're helpless before those who hold the power. And powerful people do what, brethren? They talk to peasants. No. They talk to other powerful people, don't they? That's how world-ruling empires begin. That's how they thrive. That's how they operate. There have always been conspiracies to rule whatever. Some of you ladies have conspired to rule the block. Have you ever been in a neighborhood where one or two of the mothers wanted to say everything that went on in the neighborhood? On whatever level man finds himself, you have those who want to rule and control. And it is no different on the world scene. In fact, it is even far more pronounced on the world scene. There are people right now who are planning, plotting, and conspiring to kill 80 to 90 percent of the people on earth. That is Satan's counterfeit of what Christ is going to do when he returns. There are people right now who are conspiring to destroy the United States. How far do we have to go to prove that these days? The whole Islamic world, 1.1 billion people, are conspiring to destroy the great Satan, America. The Russians conspired to destroy America. A Russian general recently said, we need a coalition against America. To do what? Lay on our beaches and have hamburgers and pina coladas with us? No, to destroy us. It's in the press now. It's anywhere you want to read now. The Russians are trying to take part of Alaska. And we are betraying our own sovereignty in giving it to them. Our own leaders are trying to destroy us. And I'm talking all the way to the top. They're conspiring to destroy us. 
We had better pray that God grant us peace and favor because that peace and favor is going to turn soon. And there is an eleventh horn that will come up which will seek to destroy each and every person who has written in the name, his name is in the book of life of the Lamb. Let's go back to Revelation 13. <clears throat> we just read about an image that will be made. And here we read about it in verse 15 of Revelation 13. He had power to give life to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause, that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. It is in the hands of this religious leader to determine who will and will not be killed. And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. There has been much written about chips that now might be implanted in our wrists or in our foreheads that has all data about us, everything about our lives on it. And perhaps that is the method that will be used. I do not know that for certainty, but it's been speculated for years. And now the technology is in place. It's not just a pipe dream of scientists. They can actually do it. And they're already implanting it in animals and in children so that they can find lost children. And they're planning it in senior citizens, so that if they wander off through their Alzheimer's, they can be found easily. So it is being introduced very gently and in from a loving standpoint, that we don't want our children lost or our old people lost. And we can locate them. And we're putting it in our cars, so that we can have a global positioning system and find our cars if they're lost or stolen. See how it is being so subtly introduced in such a way that it seems like a good thing. And in some respects, if that's all it was limited to, it could be a good thing to find our children and our cars and our old folks. But man always turns it to evil purposes. So it could be accepted very readily, and then suddenly... It's told everyone must have it in order to work. You can't buy or sell, save he have the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Whatever this is, whether it can be seen in your forehead or your hand, is immaterial. The forehead represents the will, the purpose in life, your ability to think, plan, and make decisions for yourself. The frontal lobe, your forehead. They have frontal lobotomies to take all will and purpose away from people. So the forehead represents your will and your mind and your ability to make decisions. Your hand represents your ability to work and make a living. So they will seek to control both your mind and your hand. You can't buy or sell. You can't work unless you accept this system. That's all there is to it, bottom line. You're either in or you're out. No in-between. Then he says, here is wisdom. Let him that has understanding count the number of the beast. For the, it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred, threescore, and six. Six, six, six. 
So a lot of people start putting people's names together and they find out Prince Charles fits, Bill Clinton fits, uh, various other ones fit. So their number actually adds up when you give a numerical uh, number, two letters, that their names add up to 666. So there are quite a few people out there who have that number and people who are in positions of power and authority today or who are political people who have, or have had authority or will have it. So I'm not going to try to identify who that is, but it appears very clearly from Scripture here, especially when you throw in chapter 19, verse 19 and 20, that this is a false prophet who deceives and performs great miracles and gives all his influence to the first beast. And it is a religious power. Is it the Catholic Church? I would say probably. Uh, maybe by a nose. The evangelicals might be sliding in on the rail pretty close. George W. Bush is apparently more or less evangelical. I think he's more into power and military and so on than he is into religion, but he is a religious man to some degree. Uh, the Pope has just appointed 31 new cardinals. That is an unusual number for a Pope to appoint, but perhaps he has his man picked out who will be the last Pope. And by appointing that many cardinals who are on his side, he may be able to swing the vote for the next pope to be the man that he wishes to be in that position. I would think he is maneuvering for that at this point. Uh, remember how Herbert Armstrong obsessed over who would be his successor and tried to decide and couldn't figure it out and told me one time Joe Dukach couldn't be it, along with Rod Meredith and a whole bunch of other evangelists he named. But he at some point lost the power really to determine that and God wanted something done that would destroy the church because of our attitudes. But this one will have great power. Uh, it may very well be the Catholic Church because all of these Protestant churches spun off from it. They're all daughters of the Catholic Church. And what do you do when trouble comes? You run to money. And that's what the uh, ecclesiastical movement is today, is to get all the churches back together. So they're working on that. This is to be a global movement, militarily, economically, and religiously. But it makes a difference between the military and economic might that destroys the great whore and the religious aspect of it, which combines with the military and economic power, and that's probably where Rome comes in. Satan the devil started the Catholic Church. That has been his instrument. And when everyone didn't want to go along with the Catholic Church, he then caused a Protestant Reformation, which would reform certain things that were unpalatable to some people, but they still retained the same basic doctrines and beliefs. So it's all the same system. And whatever power this is, and I'm assuming it probably is the Catholic or Universal Church, because the Jesuits are trained to infiltrate any and every government and every church on earth. They are a part of the Catholic Church. They infiltrated Worldwide Church of God, and I am sure they are infiltrating other churches of God who spun off from the Church of God. They have great power 
in the Catholic Church, and they are an occultic organization. I could name names of those. I won't do it for sake of time, and I don't know that we need to get into that anyway. Who infiltrated the Worldwide Church of God, who are Jesuits. So there is a great hidden power there, just like the Illuminati and the Bilderbergers and the Skull and Bones and the political hidden societies, secret societies. And the Catholic Church really is a political organization and has been from the time Peter told Simon Magus to go to hell with his money. And it has grown and grown. And I would not be at all surprised to see the Catholic Church be the leaders of the second beast, but it is the false prophet. It is a religious organization. And Christ will take both this first beast and the second beast, the beast and the false prophet, by the nap of the neck and throw them into a lake of fire when he returns. The great whore will already have been destroyed by the beast. So you have three major players here, well, four major players here at the end. You have the beast, first beast of Revelation 13, which we see forming politically before us in its exact form. I do not know what it will take. It will be an amalgamation of the United Nations, a lot of secret societies. It probably, very likely, will have its roots in Europe because all these secret societies do have their roots in Europe. And it will be probably centered in Germany, because the Assyrian will also be a very strong part of this. Its leader might even be an Assyrian. We will wait and see. But it is a world-ruling empire. It has a second beast attached, which is a religious power. And it destroys Babylon, which I feel is America and the rest of Israel. All the Gentiles will tread down Israel. The fourth entity on the world stage is the church. You have four major players at the end. First and second beast, the great whore who is destroyed, and the church. So it'll come down to America and Britain and the rest of Israel gone into captivity, and then you will have those other two beasts of Revelation 13 against the church. How do you like the odds? Satan and the whole world against the church. I like the church's odds. God is on our side. Well, let's end this for today and go somewhere else on atonement.